Hello, and welcome to Right Now. I'm Stephen Kent. We've got a great show for you today. I'm talking to my friends Kat Murdy and Elizabeth Nolan Brown, a.k.a. the Feminists for Liberty. You can find them on YouTube talking about the earth-shattering notion that women could reject patriarchy and simultaneously not be obsessed with finding ways to have the government seize the means of production. <laughs> it's revolutionary. We're going to get into it on feminism, happiness, careerism, pregnancy, and much more. But first... Hit that subscribe button here on YouTube, or if you're catching the podcast, subscribe and leave five stars after you finish. It means a lot. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at RightlyAJ, and shoot us a pithy remark or comment. I will try to get back to you personally. All right, I'm not going to waste any time mansplaining this episode. It's my honor to welcome on to Right Now, Kat Murdy and Elizabeth Nolan Brown. They are the co-founders of Feminists for Liberty. Kat, Liz, welcome. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Hi, Liz, thanks for having us. Yeah, Liz, you're joining us out from Ohio. I, I want to start with you because Washington and the media have been chattering all weekend, well, actually, really for weeks on end, about the dismal unemployment situation and numbers across the country. Um, seems like a lot of people are not going back to work and living on unemployment benefits instead. And I feel like it really dovetails somewhat nicely, somewhat grossly with like the, the she session narrative. Mm -hmm that has sort of been churning for the past couple of months. The effect of the pandemic, COVID-19, on women in the workplace. Liz, could you sort of unpack the She Session narrative, like what it is and what it is not? Yeah, it's been, you know, it's been a big media narrative since the start of this pandemic, because in the very beginning, women did lose more jobs than men did. And, you know, but it's, it's persisted. And up until, you know, just as recently as February, you had Kamala Harris calling it a national emergency. You have all these very dire headlines saying that this is going to, you know, devastate a generation of, of working women. And I think that a lot of that is very overblown. Um, from, from the beginning, even though women were losing more jobs, if you, the unemployment numbers or the loss in labor force participation, the difference was about one percentage point or less in, in all of these cases. And by this point, it's actually caught back up. And you have, um, for April 2021, women's uh, unemployment was 5.6% and men's was 6.1%. You also have um, some rebound in the labor force participation rate, which is, you know, how many people are actually working compared to February 2020. And women's has actually recovered more than men's has. Now, there are women at a lower labor force participation rate to begin with, but they've also seen more recovery since last fall. What or was the reason for the, the initial decline and women being hit harder by the pandemic? What about COVID-19 was different than like the Walmart, uh, I'm sorry, not the Walmart, the Wall Street crash of 2008? Right. So I think <laughs> there's a couple different things at play here. One of them was uh, women tend to be more, they work in more like service sector jobs and those kinds of things where uh, that one got closed down more and two, they may have felt a lot less safe um, going out, particularly when we didn't know really what to expect from COVID at the beginning of the pandemic. The other part is really not so much about women as it is about parenting. Uh, school shut down. Kids were out of school. There was a lot more of a virtual school, homeschool type thing. And women still overwhelmingly do the majority of childcare. And so uh, when kids were coming back home, women overwhelmingly were the ones who were deciding that they were going to stay home, which 
to one degree, as long as it's a choice, I think it's a good thing. Um, but I think there might be some question there of to what degree and that I, is a and choice. And I think that's, when I hear you say that, I immediately go, women decided to stay home and help their kids through this unprecedented experiment in home learning where kids are suffering, they're sad, and they're isolated. And, I, I'm, and the media is talking about it like it's a bad thing that the mothers are coming back to help take care of the children. And I go like, that's wrong. That doesn't feel right to me. It's about choice. It's about choice. Um, and it's certainly, I think it's a good thing if both parents are able to help their kids through this type of thing. Um, depends what, who makes more money, though. Like who? It has, depends on who makes more money. Who has the higher salary and should be working and can keep the whole ship afloat while everyone's stuck at home. Which comes back to, again, like when we talk about the wage gap, you knew I was going to bring it up. When we talk about the wage gap, um, what what we often overlook is that prior to marriage, uh, at least for millennials, a lot of times women make more than men. It's really a childbearing pregnancy gap. So that's kind of, we do see a little bit of an impact there as well. I'm sure Elizabeth has more she'd like to add here, but um, it's kind of both. I think a lot of that, though, is because we haven't seen flexibility in the workplace. And what the pandemic has absolutely shown us mm. is that you can be very productive and work from home and on a flexible schedule. So I think we're actually going to see some benefits around that. Yeah, I agree that that's, that's a very good thing. And, and one of the things that's crazy is that you hear a lot of people, especially um, the Biden administration and Democrats, saying that in order to deal with this supposed crisis of working women, we need to do all of these things, which pretty much just about to pass all of the Democrats' preferred economic policies, when the causes, as Kat just laid out, are all things that are temporary. You know, whether we're talking about women being in more service jobs and, and losing those because of shutdowns and things like that, or we're talking about, you know, having to drop out temporarily to care for family and, and children or relatives, those are all products of the pandemic that should just course correct naturally when the pandemic is over. Yeah, I think there was a there was a study that came out from uh, the McKinsey Fund, uh, Women in Workplace Study, they found that one in four women dropped out of the workforce in the past year. And the coverage of this has been that, like, you know, it's going to amount to a couple of million that do not go back to work after this whole mm -hmm. thing is done. Women are quitting work. And the narrative on that has been that that is the defeat, not like women are rediscovering like different things that make them happy. Like, what do women actually want? Just they need to be working and they need to be. Uh, a equal representation in the workplace for everything to be okay, for society to be healthy. And I just read that, and I just don't, that doesn't feel sincere or right to me. That feels like it's just about box checking and counting numbers rather right. than being like, are women happy and do they want to be working? <laughs> right. And I think you're getting to the, to the crux of the issue here, right? Because I think when you box check, we don't really know the story of what's happening behind those numbers. And if women are not returning to the workforce because they've spent the last year at home with their kids, maybe homeschooling, maybe finding other methods that work better for them, and they realize that they like this better, that's actually a good thing. We should want men as well to be able to find more flexible work uh, that, that makes them happy. It's not going out and going to an office place is not the end all be all, right? But then um, if there are women who are feeling forced into that, who are not able to return to the workplace when they otherwise would, I think that's a different story. And so when we just focus on the just core numbers and nothing else, just checking those boxes of who's going back into the workforce and who isn't, we miss that story. Yeah, Liz, is there anything else to unpack about the whole the whole subject of flexibility and how that has sort of been discovered 
you know, both for moms and dads, and then where that's going to go. Do you think that there's going to be a snapback towards really rigid work and home lives like we had before? Um, it's really hard to say because, you know, we've been predicting that we should go towards more home homework, uh, people working from home for like over a decade now and it hasn't happened. So hopefully the, <laughs> the pandemic is actually going to kickstart that because we have seen, you know, we've done a massive experiment in it and we've seen that there haven't been these productivity losses that people sometimes predict. And that could be really good for women too, because when it does come to flexible work, women are more likely to take it and working moms are more likely to take it, which even though it's offered may end up penalizing them. If employers think like, Oh, they're going to do this and it's, it's not, you know, it's not normalized. So now that it's become more normalized, I think that that could be better and just sort of help with the perception of women who do want to work flexible hours or work from home more. Yeah, I think this is a really important point, too, because a lot of what we've seen the Democrats proposing in terms of getting women back to work is childcare subsidies and things like that. And that's not actually what women overwhelmingly want. What they want is to be able to work and to stay home with their kids to some degree. I'm sure a lot of men would like that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're just erasing those options. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the vast majority of American workers are saying that they've liked the flexibility um, over the past year and a half, and they would like to keep that. Um, The only issue is whether these employers are going to realize, hey, the fact that we've had a very productive year, the markets are doing great, right? Um, Whether they realize that that means that, okay, we should be able to keep this flexibility, or if they're going to go back to these tired old tropes of you need to be nine to five sitting at this desk and we don't care what you actually produce. Yeah, I feel I was reading a commentary last week and it was about like uh, the whole debate over daycare and childcare Mm -hmm. and subsidizing it and pumping more government dollars or, you know, your dollars and taxes into making childcare more affordable, which will eventually inflate the cost inevitably. And it feels like all of those proposals are coming from like the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, you know, multiple degrees, full-time worker, and those kinds of women are the ones who are shaping the feminist discussion in Washington about what women in America want. And Liz said something about like women are more likely to choose to actually leave and stay at home and do those things. And it just makes me wonder like, what what do women want in that context? And clearly they are different from men if they are choosing different things, right? I think it depends. I think it depends. I think there are certainly, uh, there are certainly pushes and there's certainly to some extent men aren't given those same choices. Uh, even we know that within the U S maternity leave is not super common compared to other countries, Mm -hmm. but paternity leave is even less common. That kind of flexibility often isn't offered to men. So I think that that's at play here, but certainly like that choice is so important and uh, overwhelmingly women want flexibility and it's not necessarily about wanting to work part-time even. They might want to work full-time, but they want to work full-time around their schedules and they might even be more productive and better workers if they're allowed to work full-time around their schedules rather than having to fit it all into this box of like between this bell and this bell, you sit here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think more women and men, I mean, I think more parents in general would like to be able to have more time with their children. And, you know, to the extent that that we encourage that, that's good. One of the big things that's different about libertarian feminism from, you know, a lot of strains of feminism is that we don't think that there should be like one ideal vision of what women should be doing or families should be doing or what anybody should be doing. Like it's it's all about individual choices. And, you know, we just want to like have policies that help people create 
to, to have the most choices and create their own version of the good life for themselves. Yeah, well, you got right to my next question, which was I wanted to ask you about the whole libertarian feminism idea. Because for some reason, people think they don't go together. And I mean, I guess on the surface, I get why feminism has sort of become sort of a left wing ideology. It's part of the aesthetic of being in democratic politics. But what you're talking about, I feel like everybody agrees on just more options for people to self actualize Mm -hmm. and live the lives that they want. But for some reason, the only people we hear from are these Marxist feminists who think that being in the workforce and participating in capitalism, like a thing that they say that they hate, is the ultimate good. And then you have traditional conservatives who want us all to put on like the bonnets and go back to the way things were 100 years ago. Right. And, and then everybody's just jockeying for control in that discussion. And I feel like libertarian feminism is the thing everyone agrees with, but no one hears from them. <laughs> I, I like that characterization yeah. of it because it, I think that libertarian feminism is actually a very mainstream view it's just not ever presented that way libertarian and feminism aren't actually that different at least if you look at their core they're about allowing individuals to make the choices that they want to make for themselves rather than having them having to fit into certain goals or things like that and so as libertarian feminists we care about a lot of those issues that main mainstream feminists the feminists you might see on tv more often uh that they bring up all of those women's issues but also men's issues all of these sex and gender type issues but what where we defer is one uh we believe in individual choice and we see the problems that are created by government trying to force a one-size-fits-all solution onto everybody without looking at how individuals might defer and what's best for them or what they would prefer to do. And two, uh, we believe in access to markets and the amazing freeing power that that has had for women and minorities of all types um, over the last several generations. Um, in a very real way, the story of libertarian feminism is the story of women's increased access to markets and capitalism. I think what you said, too, is, is very true that, you know, the people you hear the most from that are the loudest are the socialist feminists, the radical feminists, or on the right, this, you know, very socially conservative wing of the right who is, you know, maybe anti-feminist, they call themselves, when the vast majority of people have these more middle-of-the-road views, which is that, you know, women should be able to work and hold careers and be able to do, you know, not have barriers to that. Women should be able to have families, not have barriers to that. Women should be able to make up their own mind about these things. And I think, you know, that's that's really actually what gets lost a lot in this, like, very loud discussion between feminists and anti-feminists. And I think I think both of those camps really benefit from having this uh, idea that theirs is the one true view mm-hmm. and character uh, caricaturing yeah. the other side. So that's also uh, part of what's going on there. Yeah, I was listening this morning to a, a TradCon commentator uh, on the Daily Wire network talking about this very idea as well, one of these kind of uh, female anti-feminist types. and Who somehow always think that women should not have jobs and be at home and yet somehow have jobs jobs. based upon this. Yeah, they have jobs and are media (laughs) commentators or they work at these think tanks here in D.C. Like there's an entire industry built around being Phyllis Schlafly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, that's interesting in and of itself. But yeah, I mean, like I think that those people, they want for feminism... Um, to look a certain way. But when you ask them, well, do you think like women should you know, go to work? They go, well, they should have the option, of course, mm-hmm. because that's what they're doing. And that's what you're saying. 
but you guys never agree on the prescriptions. What are we going to do as society? Are we going to try and incentivize people to have more babies and try to have the government get involved in fertility rates? And that seems to be where things really go the other direction when you're talking about the right and libertarians. Yeah, I think the difference is that we believe in choice. We believe in individual liberty. And what we don't believe in is forcing people to make choices that they otherwise would not do, whether that's going into the workplace when they don't want to or staying home when they don't want to. Um, do you feel like that applies to the whole fertility debate, though? I'm, I'm trying to think of like a specific. Sure, absolutely. Right? I think when it comes to pronatalist policies, you know, that's exactly, you know, government sort of incentivizing one choice or the other is not right. I think what we'd say is more like getting government out of the way. And there's a lot of ways you can get government out of the way that will actually make lives better and help families and women make choices better. Like, you know, um, there's so many rules around, you know, around flexible work, around things like the gig economy, and now they're trying to make more of them, around things like occupational licensing and home-based businesses and all of these things that actually give um, working parents and especially working women more choices and more ways to be able to have that flexibility where they can, you know, make a work-life balance and a family work balance work. And you have government sort of create so many barriers to that. So I think one of the things we push more than say these specifically pronatalist policies is like, how do we get out? How do we get government more out of the way so that people can do what they want to do, whatever that is. Incentivizing to me does not sound like force, though. Just sort of. Having, right. You're having, talking about these nudges, right? right? Like there's there's all sorts of nudges that are built in in ways that we don't even think about. Right. Like even even strange things like uh, we were talking in the green room about uh, the joint tax filing system, yeah. which is largely set up to get one one member of the household outworking, generally the man and one at home with children. Um as libertarian feminists, I think we would say that we would want to move away from that model that tries to nudge people in either direction and instead open up things like flexible work, work options, open up things like occupational licensing, give more access to birth control, give more access to all of these types of things and allow families to decide for themselves what is the best model for them personally. And I think you're actually going to see... Um, one, a lot more happiness, but two, uh, you're going to see a lot more people making choices that they feel they cannot make now. I think right now uh, there's a lot of people who would like to have more children and are not able to have more children because of all of various concerns, including, mm -hmm. uh, honestly, balancing work and family. And there are also a lot of people who feel that they are forced into having children they otherwise would not like to have, and that's not good for those children either. Yeah. And when it comes to children, too, I mean, things like childcare regulations, there's so many regulations around who can provide childcare and who can run these things. And, you know, so it makes it super expensive. There's this idea that, you know, you need to send all of your children to college or they're going to have a terrible life and maybe to, you know, prepare them for that from preschool. I think we put so much pressure on parents that that also um, decreases, you know, people's willingness or, or feeling like they can have kids. So I think there's a lot of social things you can work on that without getting the government involved. The expectations uh, for modern parenting are crazy, to be honest. Insane, um, yeah. Insane. Very true. Very true. Uh, the average, yeah, you would know, right? I would know. The, the <laughs> average uh, working mom nowadays spends the same amount of time on childcare, active childcare, taking care of her kid as a stay-at-home mom in the 1970s. And we're not really seeing like huge benefits to the children as a result of that. Uh, it's just it's an expectation. And I think it's forcing people to really feel stressed out and not have 
not feel yeah. as if that they can do things that they otherwise You're would talking about to do. the cultural shift where we are much more hands-on yeah. as parents today mm-hmm. than we were 40 years ago. So Which could be good, could be yeah. bad, but is, is a problem when people feel forced into it. <laughs> Oftentimes it's not so great. I mean, yeah, probably some of it's a little good. You see, like the Mad Men, where they were like, "Go play with like a dry cleaning bag." Get out of my so, house. For that some, but I think I think yeah, part of that also was that there was an expectation that you have to have children at that yeah. point, where people who really didn't want to be parents felt forced into it. And I think that that's kind of we're moving away from that, but we also don't want people who really want to be parents to feel as if they're not able to be because they don't have a master's degree and they can't, uh, they can't provide for eight years of college education and all or of these crazy like things. Organic <laughs> at every meal and things like that. I mean, right. there's just, there's so many. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like my, I think that kind of gets me to like, what if family and homemaking, like they actually, are more fulfilling for most people. And we needed to rectify the sort of government force coercion part of the situation where women were sort of like really corralled by all elements of society into only doing one thing. And we have fixed a lot of the really toxic masculinity, like sex norms in this country. And we've really worked on the culture. And now we just need to let more people just do what they would like to do, and we don't have to define it one certain way. Like, I feel like we've really course corrected, which makes me feel like what other battles, like for feminism, are there to accomplish? Like, they've gotten the thing. That's all we ever hear about all the time. So I want to push back a little bit there yeah. because I don't think that we've totally course corrected, right? There, There is still overwhelmingly women, working women, equal earners are still doing more of the domestic labor and more of the childcare than men. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. a problem, but that is the cause of things that we see like the gender wage gap. And a lot of women are actually unhappy about this. And a lot of, a lot of men are unhappy about this. I honestly, I think this contributes to uh, a lot of marital discord, divorce, that kind of thing. Um, what's really interesting here as well is, again, it comes up around childcare. Even when you have couples who um, equal earners who were doing equal amounts of domestic labor prior to having children, after children, women uh, do much more domestic labor and childcare, and men do too, but to a much smaller extent. And what's interesting as well is that on both sides, they they report it as the same. Now, this is a I don't think that there's a government fix for this. I think this is a cultural issue that we're still sort of sorting out. Not nature. Um, to some extent. I mean, absolutely. If you are childbearing, if you are a woman who is giving birth to a child, there are physical impacts on your body that do change certain things. Right. And this is part of the reason why government solutions don't work. Yeah. Um, because if you say, for instance, like, okay, so the problem is, is that if we, uh, require maternity leave, but we don't require paternity leave, women don't get hired, women don't get promoted. So instead we're going to We're going to require equal maternity leave and paternity leave. The issue is women are using their maternity leave to raise their children, to recover from childbirth, which is an incredibly difficult process on your body. Men, for the most part, are not doing it. First off, they don't have the physical issues, medical issues that come with childbirth. But two, they're not doing that same kind of thing. So there's some degree to which this is always going to be, I think, different for men and women. But... um, I don't think that the solution comes through government, but that also doesn't mean that all of the cultural solutions are totally worked out. 
Mm-hmm. I think we're just we're having these conversations and people are changing. Certainly millennial men are much more active in their homes than boomers or greatest generation, but Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, we are. But uh but that doesn't mean that these problems are fixed and we don't need to talk about them anymore. Yeah, and aside, I mean, I know that economic issues and, and women's workplace participation and things like that have been a big focus of feminism, but I mean, there's a lot more to feminism than that. There's, you know, relationship issues and sexual issues and, you know, the way women are treated in other factors of society, um, you know, body image issues and, and beauty standards. And I think, you know, a lot of this is cultural, but there are still even a lot of room for uh, striking down inequalities under the law or striking down policies that, you know, disproportionately affect women. Um, You know, things like I I fight a lot for one of the things I write about a a lot at Reason is about sex worker rights and, you know, trying to decriminalize sex work. Um, Women in prison face a lot of Mm -hmm. obstacles, like not being given menstrual pads and things like that and just really inhumane treatment. So I think that there are and, you know, birth control is actually another huge one. That's a thing that a lot of women will use in their lifetimes. And there are a lot of regulations around it that are just totally unnecessary. So I think, you know, there's still a lot of room for for feminism today. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of laws also that are even being passed nowadays that impact people yeah. differently based on gender, either because they're designed that way or because they have that impact. Like what? Uh, well, and that's another thing I think that we think is our big fight is is keeping new terrible laws and new sexist policies from going into place. And a lot of these are, or are sexist, maybe not necessarily against women. A lot of them think that they're trying to be pro women, but end up having unintended consequences. But, um, you know, both from the right and especially from the left, I think you have a lot of ideas that are, that are saying that they're meant to help women that are bad. And that's, that's another thing that libertarian feminists do a lot of is, is, is fight the, uh, bad policies with unintended consequences from both sides. Have either of y'all noticed a uptick, maybe in your own circles, maybe our generation at large, in traditionalism, and really a rush backwards towards traditionalist religious structures, Catholicism, um, and the family? Because I've seen it in my life, and we share a lot of the same friends, and I feel like that has to be for a reason, because the promises, the cultural promises, some of the ideologies we're talking about here just haven't delivered people the happiness, the fulfillment that they thought they would be finding. I think that you're right. I mean, I've certainly seen a move towards that. I've seen it from both men and women. I will say yeah. that I do see a much larger push towards that from men, particularly single men. Men who uh, perhaps don't want to be single men. The ones who scream, reject modernity, embrace tradition. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I, I don't think that I've seen more of it, though. Like, I, I think that the whole idea that this was a huge thing is overplayed, actually. Yeah. I mean, like, in my... Uh, maybe, maybe it's just being from the Midwest or something, but, you know, I think in my life, in my social circles, I've never thought that there has been a huge rejection of any of these things, and... People have sort of just, you know, millennials have just sort of continued a pace with what was a lot of the standards from Gen X and boomers before them amongst, I don't know, the people that I know. I think it really depends on what you're looking at, right? Because I think that to some degree, there was a small segment of society that had this idea that if we just reject all tradition, that's going to get to a great place. And I think that's what we're seeing walked back a little bit. But I think overwhelmingly, kind of like you said, the average person probably does believe in a lot of libertarian feminist ideals. I think the average person really does think that gender equality is a good thing, that women should be able to own property, that women should be able to go to work or have children or do all of these kinds of things that 
they aren't actually rejecting those ideas. And even if they decide in their own lives that that's not the choice that they want to make, they probably aren't thinking that women should now lose all of those rights like that they honestly have only gained in the last several generations or even decades. I feel like one of the reasons that libertarian feminism like is off-putting to some people or they don't understand the idea is because libertarianism, at least to me, is a uh, ideology of, of peace, cooperation, mm-hmm. non-aggression, like all that kind of stuff. Consent, as you guys like to say. And then feminism, to me, and when I'm being honest, is like war footing. It's just beating the drum about something all the time. It's about the next step, the next advancement, the next battle. Like feminism is never going to just like chill because there will always have to be something to fight. And I feel like that's what has pushed so many people more in that traditional streak to be really extreme and reactionary against it because it just doesn't stop. So I think a lot of people, when they say that they're anti-feminist or they say that they're not a feminist, yeah. it's really because they're pushing back against something else. They're not. It's not necessarily <laughs> feminism itself, but it might be against this idea that um, that you know, if you're a feminist, you have to vote for Hillary Clinton or Kamala Harris or Joe Biden or, or if just you're, cultural changes at large. Right. Yes. It's a lot of just pushing back against you know cultural changes at large that aren't necessarily feminism's fault that are that are confluence of a whole lot of different things but that get blamed on feminism uh there's this great joan kennedy taylor who's my favorite libertarian feminist she was um you, you know very active in the libertarian party and um in organizations in the from like the 60s through the early aughts uh she, one of her theories is that you know feminism has come in waves there's always been this push and pull between mm-hmm. more collectivist feminists and more individualist feminists which is you know what, what we're on the side of and that you've seen actually like the mainstream feminist movement repel more women when it's gone more towards the collectivist side. And then you've seen it, you know, attract greater um, audiences and become more socially acceptable as it's gone more towards individualist side. And this has sort of been waves throughout history of this. And I think that that's, that there's really something to that. Yeah. I think what people are really drawn to what women are really drawn to about the idea of feminism is that you know, there's this uh, sort of hyperbolic idea that feminism is the idea that women are people. As libertarian feminists, we like to say <laughs> feminism is uh, libertarian feminism is the idea that people are individuals and they should be treated that way. Yeah. Right. And I think most people really just want the right to make their own choices in their own life. But that narrative can get co-opted by the right, by the left and used to sell a very prescriptive uh, bill of goods that may not be actually that feminist, right? And whether that's something like yeah. mandatory uh, paid leave or something like, um, you know, a bans on birth control or limits on uh, various reproductive uh, freedoms, like that's not what the average person is looking for when they look towards feminism. Well, nobody does. I mean, every every girl, right, like... They want to be independent. They don't want boys grabbing their hands and leading them around, telling them what to do. Like that is just sort of, I think, the base line. And that's where feminism has always been good for, for young girls and women broadly. But now we're at this point, like third wave feminism, right? Are we in the fourth wave at this point? We're in the fourth wave. Third wave, really, honestly, you hear about this all the time. That's like the 90s. And, and this latest wave is like, what is a woman? Like we're like having to debate now, like what is a woman? And how inclusive is that idea? And I think it's just like it's moved so fast that it has made the debate impossible to have anymore. Well, I think a big part of why we're having that debate is because the state is getting involved in what is a woman, right? Like 
uh, we, we wouldn't be arguing about bathrooms if the state hadn't decided that they were going to decide for every business yeah. who c- can or cannot go into which bathroom. You know, so say, across the board, I think we see that when the government comes in and tries to make this one size fits all policy that doesn't allow people that wiggle room to find to find the thing that works best for them, then it becomes personal. Then it becomes something that people have to fight against. That's interesting. It's really interesting. I, you always hear, you know, like, why aren't there more gender neutral bathrooms? And I was writing about this once and I learned that actually like a lot of states pass laws explicitly banning them for mm-hmm. a long time. So, you know, the reason there aren't is because states explicitly said you can't have them. And then, you know, now we've got the uh, the opposite problem. So, yeah, I, I think but yeah, the, I think what Kat said is funny. I was living in North Carolina at the time they did the uh, the trans bathroom law. Right. Yeah. Um, NCAA pulled out and there was a, a whole whole bunch of drama there. And I just remember thinking, like, this feels like unnecessary conflict. We were we were organizing it's the our culture wars. Yeah, we were organizing ourselves and our lives very peacefully before. Mm-hmm. Trans women, trans men were like using bathrooms, and nobody was talking about it. It was just happening. Yeah. And if you knew about it, I think you're kind of a pervert. Like, mind <laughs> mind your own business. Everything was fine until lawmakers decided to codify in law what everybody had to do. Right. And then it turned into just an all-out freak show. And now we're seeing the same thing happen again with more trans bathroom laws and now with trans sports bills, right? Trans like, sports bills. It's the yeah. same thing well, that we're I think, unfortunately... Unfortunately, a lot of what used to be the culture wars around just gay people in general, you know, there's obviously a certain brand of of right leaning politician who's sort of made that their bread and butter. And when, you know, surveys show that especially among young people that there's just wild acceptance for that now, you can't really get away with being an open homophobe. So I think that, you know, the trans wars and, and also, you know, activists, the LGBTQ activists, then there's not as much leverage in in pushing for uh, just, you know, plain gay rights anymore, because they feel like a lot of these battles have been won. So on both sides, there's just sort of this need for something to take place. I think it's actually very cynical in, in, in many occasions. I, I think the media plays into this too, right? Because there are certain issues, yeah. like if you start talking about like, trans women in bathrooms, that's going to get clicks on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. these are the kinds of things that, like, there's a lot of reason that the media wants to cover it, which then makes it a big issue where people who previously may not have known it was an issue, may not have particularly cared, it just wasn't important to them, they suddenly, this is, like, the most important thing to them, even though, you know, it may not actually impact their life at all. I think this is sort of the logical conclusion of when feminism is based around Marxism and intersectionality and just like it being all things like it's not just about patriarchy. It's just about all systems. And under that ideology, all systems are product of patriarchy and capitalism. Therefore, it all must be torn down and the battle can never end. So I think capitalism has a major marketing problem and feminism has the same major marketing problem. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of both. (laughs) And um Two very different groups of people hate uh, feminism or hate capitalism. And I think it's largely because they're responding to something that is very different than what I mean when I say those. And what I think a lot of people mean when they say those. Like when I'm talking about capitalism, I'm not talking about like crony capitalism. I'm not talking about things like subsidies or, uh, you know, big companies being able to push small companies out of the market using types of regulations or, yeah. uh, you capitalism know. Capitalism is used as a shorthand for exploitation. right. Absolutely. And I think we see the same thing happen with feminism, too, where, you know, I'm talking about people should have equal access and be treated the same way under the law. 
And uh, then people are like, that means that you want to outlaw, uh, you want to outlaw women wearing skirts or something. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's that's actually not at all something I'm interested in. I mean, yeah, capitalism has done so much to pull women out of poverty and provide women with independence in history in the United States and in Western countries. And actually, you know, when we were talking earlier about is there a place for feminism anymore? I mean, we're just looking at this from a very U.S. centric or Western centric view. There mm-hmm. are obviously a lot of places where these very basic feminist battles are far from one and, you know, still have so much ways to go. And I think that's especially, you know, where you can see capitalism and economic liberty making a huge difference in women's lives. I wasn't going to go here, but since we're talking about economic liberty worldwide, Libertarians have caught some flack uh, in the past from their conservative friends uh, over the whole idea of sweatshop labor abroad. Um, you guys have both probably heard this discourse mm-hmm. before. I think it was because a libertarian blog had posted about how like sweatshop labor abroad was like a form of empowerment because it's access to work. And <laughs> we're just like, wait, empowerment? What are you talking about? Uh, what is your take on that whole debate and the idea that like all work is good work? So this is actually what we're talking about. Yes. (laughs) This is actually exactly what we're talking about. And I think first it depends on what you mean by sweatshop, right? Like if you're talking about actual like slavery, that is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about people are working for a wage below what you or I would be willing to work for a job that you or I wouldn't want to do. That's because we have access to other things And it's actually been incredible the extent to which uh, people of all genders, but specifically women who have been able to get jobs in factories, garment factories, things like that, and then bring home money are all of a sudden, one, able to leave the house, able to then they have this money. Once they have this money, they have more say in their homes. They have more say in the wider society, and they use that to push for more rights for themselves. And that's a beautiful story that gets totally pushed by the wayside, largely because people either don't understand uh, what, what they're talking about. They don't know these specific stories or um, they're having difficulty understanding how someone's situation might be different than them. And they might be benefited by taking a job that they may not want to take themselves or they just have political reasons to push back against these things and make it sound as if it's the worst possible case when that's actually not what we're talking about. And I mean, you Elizabeth knows so this. It, yeah, it comes up all the time with sex work as well, right? Yeah. It comes up all the time with sex work, and it comes up all the time with a lot of things that are that are gendered um, more towards women's labor. Like one that I always think about is you often hear about how it's wrong to hire someone to clean your house. It's wrong to you know because to hire a woman because it's usually women to be to be your house cleaners, and it just totally comes from this place where people think like, oh, I wouldn't want to do that, so therefore no one would want to do it, and it must be exploitative. Um, I grew up with my mom was you know a house cleaner when I was growing up. A lot of women in my family have done that. It was a choice she made because it allowed her to have the flexibility to make her own hours and be home with her kids part-time. Whereas when she had an office job, it was much more strict. And I think a lot of women make that choice. And it's like, if you tell women they can't, you know, clean houses, if you tell women they can't do sex work, if you tell women you can't do any of these things just because you wouldn't want to do them, that doesn't mean that they magically have better job prospects or will get to just do the things they want. You know, it just means that they're going to have even more precarious situations. So 
yeah, I think that when you talk about sweatshops, it's it's the same thing. I People, think it comes from this very like classist, switch. privileged view of the world yeah, where you think that everybody 100%. sees things exactly like you and has the same values and preferences as you. And you're not okay with people deferring from that. Right. In certain countries, $2 can completely change right. the week or the month that you're going to have mm-hmm. and your options. Like, I get that. It, it definitely feels like like socialists and conservatives kind of like colluding in their sudden like skepticism of the capitalist system. Well, socialists have always been that way. Like, they think all work is a form of slavery. And conservatives only want to see certain kinds of work. But what y'all done by certain kinds of people. Right. And what you keep coming back to is just choice. Like I'll show my cards. Like I'm, I'm really not on board with the whole like sex work as a, as a natural good or as like constructive thing, but like this is going to happen anyways. And you have to give people the best choices that they have so that they can make better choices down the road. Like maybe it's a means to an end to do other things. Like you can't control the things that people are going to do. And prohibition never, ever, ever makes a problem go away. What it does do is it makes it much worse. It it brings in criminal elements. It prevents people from doing things in a safer way. And it causes a lot more of the problems that we tend to associate with whatever that issue is, whether it's sex work or drugs or alcohol, as we saw in this country, uh, all sorts of different things. Yeah, I think when people talk like, is sex work empowering or not, they're asking the wrong question the because <laughs> it is for some people, it isn't for some people. But like the better question is, you know, are the people who are doing it for whatever reason going to be better or worse off with prohibition? And, you know, if, you, if you're not just someone who thinks women should be punished for making the wrong decisions, but if you actually do care about the people who are in it and do care about people who maybe aren't there 100% by choice, it's going to be better for them if it's not, you know, a black market system. And I think one thing that we need to remember is that people have different values and people have different preferences. And what I might think is how I want to live my life, uh, what I might think is the best type of spouse for me, or what I might think is the kinds of clothes I want to wear or the kinds of work I want to do or how I want to spend my free time is not going to be the same as most other people. And that's true of everybody. And, you know, as the problem is when we would try to force people into specific venues, that's when you start causing all these problems because you're trying to make everyone be the same. And that's not good for society. And it's not good for the individuals either. Elizabeth, Kat, the feminist for liberty. Let's leave it right here. Thank you. All right, well, we like to round down every show with a little bit of good news, some positively vibes. Um, Elizabeth, why don't you tell us something that has got you happy today? Yeah, I was ashamed to say that I was having a hard time finding good news in the news, but I did come across something this morning. Uh, I don't know how good a news some people will think this is, but uh, uh, Robert Griffin of Democracy Fund was tweeting about how millennials and Gen Z by the mid-2020s are going to make up as large a share of the electorate of the voting population as boomers. So we're coming for you, boomers. (laughs) Uh, That'll be really interesting to see how that changes electoral politics in this country. I do not know if I trust the Zoomers to take us in a good direction they're just going to make people like, said TikTok that about us right. too though I, th- I think the zoomers feel about us like we feel about the boomers though so yeah i'm moder i'm moderating a zoomer versus boomer debate later this summer and uh, i really can't oh, wait it's going to be hype or lit that's a millennial thing to say i think at this I, point. I think so i think we're we're stuck in the millennial bubble yeah i need i need new words Got to appeal to the Zoomers. All right, so my good news, um, 
I'm really, I am not sad about the Golden Globes being pulled by NBC. So NBC is not going to be airing the Golden Globes here in 2021. Uh, and they are shelving it at least until 2022 after the Hollywood Foreign Press Association takes up major reforms. And look, I do a lot of entertainment writing and the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is corrupt. It is a bad organization. I also do not know why we take our cues from foreign critics for American movies. That doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe it's like a little nationalist tendency that I have, but I'm like, this is not right. Hollywood only. (laughs) So I'm actually pretty delighted. The only problem is that surely when they bring the Golden Globes back, it will be worse than (laughs) than the way that it was before. Because the reason that it's getting boycotted by all these lefty Hollywood actors is because it's not woke enough. And I just don't understand how it could be more woke. Well, more, more fake woke, at least. <laughs> it will just, it will just be about representation and like numbers and like meeting diversity quotas. That will probably be the big reform that they take on. So anyways, some good news wrapped in probably more bad news. Well, I have some good news that is uh, wrapped in some personal good news, which Yay. is, uh, this is probably very obvious. I'm expecting a baby in a couple of weeks here. Um, and, you know, we kind of went into the pandemic and we've been hearing all of these stories about how we're having this major baby bust. No one's having children anymore. Uh, everyone's terrified of having children. And of course, like I'm looking around, um, my social circles and all of a sudden, all of these women who've wanted to have kids for a while, they're suddenly finding this is like the perfect time to have children. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of that comes back to, what we've talked about with the pandemic, increased workplace flexibility, the ability, uh, the fact that we're looking more at outputs and metrics rather than did you or did you not spend this amount of hours sitting at this desk and show your face to these people. And I think in the long term, that's going to have a lot of pen- positive benefits for women in the workplace and outside of it. I absolutely agree. And I just I feel this like rubber band tension in the country where like people seem to want it to like snap back to the way it was before. And I just really hope that we resist. I think a lot of people really don't want it to snap back. They just don't want to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. Maybe so. Elizabeth Nolan Brown, Kat Murdy, thank you so much for joining me on Right Now today. This was a lot of fun. And all of you out there, we will be back next week. We are on YouTube every Thursday and in your podcast feed. So please like, subscribe and join us. We'll see you then.